We are born into a separated Sunday morning. The body of Christ is segregated past all warnings. The church looks more like a court and less like a courting. Trading the unified bride for stereotype judgments. The juries are sorting. The blacks from the white, the left from the right, the women from men, the sinners from sin, the traditional from the charismatic, the liberal from the dogmatic, the denomination from the non-denom, inevitably separating us from God. How did we get so far off from the truth that now a poor, dark-skinned, unattractive Israeli Jew would have better luck dying for our sins than fitting in on our pews? But it's time our churches look less like the demographic of a country club and more like that of a Walmart. Within this borderless country, there are no Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, rich nor poor, Democrat nor Republican, Iraqi nor American, holy nor beautiful, polished nor tainted, Catholic nor Baptist, red nor brown, black nor white. There is only Christ, the miracle of a true life, the participants in a new creation. The old has gone, the new has saved us. We are the third race, neither Gentile or Jew. From death to life, we have all passed through. Our skin has not been removed, but our eyes have been renewed. Now you can see me and I can see you as more than a brand title, sinner or color, but as a father, mother, sister or brother. The church is universal, the university of diversity. She can teach the world how to live in harmony. The church is local, the locale for unity, unifying heaven and earth. We are the contrasted community. Our allegiance is not to a country, color or creed, but to the androgynous family born on that Roman tree. We will no longer be separated by our prejudices and bigotry, nor be segregated from those who think or look differently, but will embrace our body's beautiful diversity and will raise our voices for peace as God's extraordinary symphony. Good morning. Welcome to Prodigal Church. Uh, week three, we explore uh, diversity. It's a, this is something so relevant for us um, in our nation, in our city. Uh, in the ancient world, there were three main ways that people were divided. They were divided by race. Uh, the Jewish people, of which most of the scriptures were written by and to, they were, there were two kinds of people, Jews, Gentiles. There's no middle ground. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, you could, but they would give you a separate name. You were a proselyte, and you didn't have full access the way that a real Jewish person would have. Two races of people in the ancient Near East, Jews and Gentiles. They stayed separated. Secondly, they were divided by race. They were divided by gender. Women did not have the same rights as men. If a, there was a, a crime committed and a woman was the only witness they could not count on her to testify because a woman's testimony is discounted. They were not seen as equals as men. So in the ancient world, they were divided by race, they were divided by gender, and lastly, they were divided by status. Slavery was abundant in the ancient world. You could either be born into slavery, conquered into slavery, or sold into slavery. But regardless, once you were a slave, you were less than. You were less than. People were divided by race, gender, and status. And then this first century Palestinian Jew, Jesus shows up on the scene and upsets the whole system. Paul says this in Galatians 3. This is incredible. It'll be on the screens. So in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith. 
For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. The scriptures declare that the people of God, we say no to the walls that divide us. We say, tear the walls down in Jesus' name. We're one. The walls of race, the walls of gender, the walls of social status or socioeconomic status, we break down those walls in Jesus' name. Now, I don't normally start off firing like this in a message, but this is a deep-rooted conviction rooted in Jesus in an expression of the kingdom of God, right? Uh, the end of the scriptures in the book of Revelation, uh, we hear John the apostle getting this vision of heaven where people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation is there. If we are to be a foreshadowing of heaven, we should have multi-generations in here. We should have multi-ethnicities um, in here. Uh, this should be a diverse place. So let's slow down for a bit and explore what we mean by we, us saying the word diversity. Now, what is diversity? <clears throat> well, I, I could be wrong, but I believe uh, diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War era. Now, as much as I hate to disagree with Ron Burgundy, uh, I'm going to respectfully disagree. Uh, I don't think that diversity is an old, old wooden ship used in the Civil War era. Um, the best way to explain diversity, though, is by use of a movie, the 1985 classic film, The Goonies. Okay? How many of you seen this movie? Raise your hand. My people. You are my people. There is just so much to like in this movie. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, I want to give you a brief synopsis, uh, it's a story of junior high and high school students who live in this community, this neighborhood called the Goondocks in Astoria, Oregon. And their family, their, their brothers and sisters, and uh, the banks are going to foreclose on this community and make a golf course right where they're standing. And so they're all hanging out one um, afternoon inside of Mikey's dad's attic, and they stumble across a treasured map from the famous pirate of the area, One-Eyed Willie. And so they, then they leave on their bikes and take off across the Oregon coast, um, av avoiding all kinds of different troubles and snares and booby traps. Is it booby traps or booty traps? And why does it have to be booty or booby? Okay, what frat guy named, <laughs> named this thing? It's got to be booby or booty. That's it. Um, and so they're getting through the booty trap, booby, booby traps. <laughs> and they encounter all kinds of crazy, amazing, wonderful things. They're chased by this mafia-style family called the Fratellis. And they're in search to discover treasure and save the goondocks. Now, let me introduce you to the goonies. Here's uh, uh, some of them. Mikey. He's the first one there. He's the leader. Uh, Sean Astin, you may know him as Rudy, and also another amazing movie. But he's the dreamer. He's calm and collected. Then there's Data, and he's all about gadgets, okay? Pinchers of pale, slick shoes, all kinds of great gadgets. Then there's Mouth. Mouth is sarcastic, humorous, quick-witted, jokes. Um, then there's Chunk. Everybody loves Chunk. 
Chunk likes food and lying. And, uh, and Google search truffle shuffle and you're in for a great treat. Then there's Brand, who's Mikey's cool older brother, typical 80s jock. Uh, then there's Andy, typical 80s cheerleader. And then there's Steph, Andy's friend. That's pretty much all you need to know about her. And then finally, Sloth. Okay, brace yourself. <laughs> sloth. This adult who uh, they meet upon, along the way who ends up playing a great role. Now, one of the reasons this movie works so well is because of the diversity of the characters. Uh, they all come from different backgrounds, different worlds, um, different languages in some instances, and somehow they're united in one purpose to achieve one goal, saving the goondocks. And the Bible speaks a ton about diversity. Their diversity as uh, the goonies actually led to the rescue of others, not a hindrance. The church should be the place where diversity thrives. Diversity is God's heart for the church. It's about looking different, thinking different, being different. We all shouldn't be the same. The ancient mystic Zerusa said this, when I die, God is not going to say, why weren't you more like Moses? He'll say, why were you not more like Zerusa? We need you in all of your quirkiness, giftedness, personality, background, heart, dreams, desires. We don't need another Stephen. We don't need another Brittany. We don't need another John. We need you to be you in this place. There is a place for you here at Prodigal Church. If we're only in relationship with people who look, think, and act just like us, I really think we're missing God's best for our lives. God made us different, and that sharpens us. That makes us better. Ancient Israel really loved God's attention. They loved, they loved the Abraham's call. In Genesis 12, God speaks to this man named Abraham, and he says two things. He says, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. In Israel, the descendants of, of Abraham loved the first part, I will bless you. They loved God blessing them, but they forgot about the second part, to be a blessing. They were blessed to be a blessing. Then there's, they end up in slavery um, under Pharaoh. Many of you guys know this story, right? God raises up a deliverer named Moses. Moses says, let my people go. They part the Red Sea, and they exit on dry land into the desert of Sinai, eventually onto the promised land. You're familiar with this story. Uh, the Exodus. The Exodus is often considered the second most influential, pivotal story in all of Scripture. It's, re it's referenced second most to anything else other than Jesus. The Exodus is this formative story where our God delivered us from the other gods. Our God is bigger than all other gods. God is for us, not against us. God is against you and with us. The Exodus was the most formative event in Israel's history. And then we come across Amos chapter 9. This small little prophet who was a shepherd from Tercoa, and he writes this phrase, and it, it's as if he says it kind of off the cuff like it's a small deal, but see if you can find the unsurpassable and off the charts implications of this. Amos 9 7 says this Are you Israelites more important to me than the Ethiopians? asks the Lord. I brought Israel out of Egypt, I also brought the Philistines from Crete. 
and led the Arameans out of Kerr. The exodus wasn't the only exodus. The exodus was for the Israelites, but there was also a Philistine exodus. Philistines are the bad guys, okay? The Philistines are Israel's enemies. Goliath was a Philistine. And here Amos says, is speaking from the perspective of the Lord, I led the Philistines on an exodus. I led the Arameans out of Kerr. We are not the only important special people in God's eyes. We're all special. There is no God cares about us, but he doesn't care about them. There is no them to God. Who's your them? There's no way God likes those people. Actually, those people are to blame for what's happening in our country. Who's your them? He desires all of us. If we're supposed to bring heaven to earth, we need to be about every tongue, tribe, and nation. If the church is for anybody, then the church should be for everybody. Everybody should be welcomed. You got gadgets, uh, great. Your sloth, welcome. Sloth, should feel welcome at Prodigal Church, okay? I think I have a picture of Sloth being here at Prodigal Church. Welcome. (laughs) Would he feel great about being here? I certainly hope so. Hey, you guys. The Goonies are this ragtag bunch of kids united in one purpose. So are we. And so were the disciples. Jesus picked 12 disciples, and they all came from very diverse backgrounds. Um, There's 12. First, we have Thomas and Andrew. Thomas, skeptic, okay? He was the one who said, I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose from the dead until I put my fingers in in where his side was pierced, or I can touch the holes in his hands. Uh, I won't believe till I see. Then Andrew. Andrew says... Let's go. We found the Messiah. Come on. He was a man of simple faith. Thomas the skeptic, Andrew, a man of simple faith. Then we have Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon the zealot. Uh, the zealot is, was a political party, a Jewish sect, that had intense nationalism and hatred of the Roman Empire. Okay? They were the farthest right wing as you could get, the zealots. They wanted to overcome the Roman invasion with force and violence. And then you have Matthew, the tax collector, and tax collectors were on the bottom totem pole in ancient Jewish world. They were hated. What they would do is they would actually align themselves with the Roman Empire, charge an exorbitant amount of tax on the Jewish people, give to Rome, but they got to keep whatever they made above. So they would overcharge their own people. They were betrayed. So we've got Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Must have been a killer Christmas party, okay, at Peter's house. These guys are from all over the place. Then you have Philip. Philip in Greek, the name means lover of horses. When the disciples would argue, he would say, oh, nay, you don't. Okay, he would, (laughs) that was a cheap shot. (laughs) 
Philip, lover of horses. They're all diverse. All these men, we're not even getting into the sons of thunder, James and John, who are arguing who's going to be on Jesus' right, who's going to be on Jesus' left. Peter, super opinionated, strong wills, cut people's ears off. This is a ragtag bunch of folks that God used to change the world, and that is us too. You are good looking, but you're a ragtag bunch of folks all up in here, and God is uniting us in a purpose to bless and change and love the world. These disciples changed everything. This is uh, the great seal of the United States. It's used on currency, um, often the presidential seal. It contains many Latin words, but e pluribus unum is the most prevalent. This is sometimes referred to as the Federation motto because it was first used in explaining the joining of 13 colonies. It has 13 letters, and so it represented the 13 colonies becoming one. It means one from many or one composed of many. E pluribus unum. One from many or one composed of many. Isn't that a beautiful description of what the local church should be? ultra-diverse, come from every kind of walk of life. E pluribus unum. This is united diversity. I know that doesn't make sense, okay? That is like a, a, an oxymoron, right? You're familiar with oxymorons, okay? Act naturally, oxymoron. Terribly pleased, okay? Uh, pretty ugly. Airline food, <laughs> Good cats. <laughs> These are oxymorons. Andy Warhol said, I am a deeply superficial person. <laughs> a little pain never hurt anyone. Irene Peter said, always be sincere even though you don't necessarily mean it. United diversity. Oxymoron. We are oxymorons. One from many. One from many. Romans 12, 1 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Notice here that the text Paul is saying here, he says, bodies, plural, as an offer of sacrifice, singular, together, what Paul's, he's not saying that you, Brian, offer your, your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord, or you, Greg, do that, and you, Gino, do that, and you, Alexa, do that. No, he's saying you all together offer your bodies to the Lord as one act of worship. It's a communal perspective. The ancient world was all about community. It's not about just being individuals. It's about when the individuals come together to make something to be reckoned with in our world. When we unite under one purpose, to love God and to love people. This offering our bodies is one living sacrifice. Paul then goes on to, in Romans 12, describe what this united diversity looks like within the body. He goes on in verse 4, it says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many... Form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You all have gifts, and we need all of those in this church. The Spirit of God distributes gifts uniquely as a safeguard against individualism. Because as a default in our society, right, it's alone, it's about me, I got my faith, it's just me and the Lord, that's all I need. You know, the scriptures declare we need each other. There is a we-ness to the Christian faith. We'll talk more about that next week. We need each other if we were to best to display Jesus to the world. Um, a couple years ago, uh, I was, I did a video conference with this church in San Diego. And this church, uh, their kind of unique blessing to, th to the body of Christ is that when someone in their church has a passion or um, a gift, they say, do it, and they empower them to do it. And this one woman made dolls. And they go up to the pastor, and she goes, hey, I know you guys, like, empower the people to, like, use their gifts for God. I make dolls. And the pastor was like, okay, that's weird. Here's a picture of some of the dolls. Um, and they're like, how, how can, you know, how can we use this? How can we use this? And they, they thought, yeah, that's a strange, you know, hobby. But they really prayed about it. And somehow, some way, the Lord really used them uh, and used this woman. They ended up partnering with the city of San Diego's police department. And whenever there was a domestic violence call, um, they would bring these dolls and give to every kid in the house when they went on that call. So that every police car in the city of San Diego has these dolls in their trunk. What a blessing! She made dolls! And God used it in incredible ways to bless the people in need in her city. What random gift do you have that God wants you to use all of in here? We value the diversity of gifts. Even the tiniest thing that you can contribute will be of immense value to your family and to the people of God. What gifts do you have? We want you to be fully you. A little boy stood outside of a store at Christmas time, and he, his clothes were tattered and tainted, and a lady moved with compassion, um, kind of brought him into the store and ended up buying him Christmas presents, a jacket, some clothes. And when they were leaving, the boy said to her, Lady, are you God? And she smiles. And she says, No, but we are related. We are related. So are you. Whatever gifts you have, whatever abilities, whatever talents, step into those gifts and using them to bless others. When the gifts of the church meet the needs of the world, God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever your gifts, whatever your abilities, there's room for you here. You bear the image of God. You're related so what's this look like? What's this look like? Let me read a, a familiar story. Familiar story, the Good Samaritan. 
Jesus tells this story in Luke 10. It says this. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. The Greek word here for compassion is splanknizomai. It's a very vivid one. It refers to like our intestines or like our bowels. So it's, 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 it's the equivalent to like a gut feeling, okay? Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three bandits, or which one of, which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, bef- this was a, uh, a dangerous road. They called this the, the, the Valley of Blood the way of blood. There was high hills and high mountainsides on each side of this path. And so robbers could easily find places to hide. And people often were robbed and left for dead there. This was a very common scenario. It's a very believable story to those Jesus is speaking with. And before we dive into how the Samaritan responded, I just want to give us a reminder that this story is ultra, ultra offensive to Jewish people. Because Jews hated Samaritans and the Samaritans hated Jews. There was blunt, straight-up racism between the two, okay? Violence, discord. There was such extreme stereotyping and blunt racism on both sides of this. The Good Samaritan, nowhere in the Bible do we find the words good and Samaritan next to each other. That's almost too offensive. For those who heard the story, uh, the phrase Good Samaritan, we've inserted that. Good Samaritan would have been an oxymoron back then. No such thing. Jesus tells this story to the Jews that are listening, and the Jews, as, as, they're, as they're listening to this story, and it says, then a Samaritan went by. And they're all like, okay, what's going to happen now? And they're anticipating, what's this Samaritan going to do? Is he going to finish this dead guy off? Is he going to kick him over the cliff? What's this Samaritan going to do? The furthest thing from their minds is that this Samaritan would be the one who helps this wounded man. They're thinking, oh, the Samaritan's going to dig around and find this guy's money and rob him, see if there's anything left. The story is offensive. If Jesus were illustrating this need to love our enemies, then the man in the ditch would have been the Samaritan. But it's even more offensive than that. The one who does good is your enemy. He's not saying, love your enemy, help your enemy who's in need. He's saying, emulate your enemy. It's even more offensive. He's saying, be like the one you hate. Jesus isn't only telling us to love our enemies. He's challenging the way we think about our enemies. Sometimes it takes an act of kindness or an act of love to see people the way God wants us to see them. Who is the them to you? Could Jesus be calling you towards an act of generosity, towards an act of love, towards your them? 
And your loving action might be what you need to help you see them the way God sees them. How you look at people will determine how you love people. And when we look at people the wrong way, it makes it really hard to love them the right way. God says, break down those walls in Jesus' name. Now, this was not an easy role for the Samaritan to play. He really was good. It came at great expense to self. He invested his time and money in helping the wounded man. He turned his ass into an ambulance and gave up his own personal agenda to help this wounded person his whole life. At great cost to himself and future expenses. This man laying at the side of the road could have actually put the Samaritan in, in, in jeopardy himself. Often, one of the great ploys was pretend like you're wounded and whoever came up to you, then they would rob you. And he puts his, his own self and his own desires to the side to be a blessing to others. What does that look like for you? And not only that, what would it look like for you to do that to your them, whoever them is to you? This cost him a lot. When it comes to compassion and loving our neighbor, if it doesn't cost, it doesn't count. If it's not difficult, if it's not a sacrifice, it doesn't count. Love is at the expense of self for the benefit of others. When you love, benefits accrue at their account, at your expense. Love is for you, not for me. Love gives, it doesn't take. I want to invite Steve and the band up as we close with this song. Uh, Jesus didn't die on the cross like this. Jesus wasn't thinking about them going, man, I can't believe those people. No, no. Jesus died on the cross like this. Arms open wide. What even the Roman centurion who nailed him to the cross said, surely this man is the son of God. God, I pray in Jesus' name that whoever our Samaritans are, that the walls that, that we've put between us, that those would come crashing down. And that this church would be the place of diversity you've called us to be. God, forgive us in the ways in which we've made it about people who look just like us, who think just like us, and act just like us. And help us to get uncomfortable God, help us to be a kind of church that's, that's more like the bar in Cheers where everybody knows your name. God, that it, our relationship with one another transcends just a Sunday morning experience, but it actually moves towards our real life that we could bless one another and help and pray and encourage one another. So Jesus, help us to be that kind of place. Help us to be diverse. Help us to be united e pluribus unum that out of many one let us be united in your purposes God to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven in Jesus name amen let's stand as we close with this song oh come to the altar and we don't have an altar we have a stand